the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> all right, we are here with yet another fantastic slash maybe somewhat awesome guest. We'll see. Coach we'll James take Mack. Her. Thanks for joining us, mate. No, guys, appreciate the, the extension of the offer, I suppose. Um, always <laughs> wanted to do this. It's been a while since we tried to organize this and trying to get on the podcast, I guess. What happened last time? Yeah, we, we booked you in and something dramatic happened. What was it? Uh, your internet died. Oh, was it that? It wasn't. Yeah, wasn't dramatic. Dramatic. We had, we had that that is dramatic in our life. It, it, that's we, so we had risky dramatic. internet and we wanted to wait till Romania. And Romania has come to the forefront with incredible internet best internet in the world apparently claim to fame for romania i mean i don't i wouldn't know what else their claim to fame would be to be honest communism i don't know like (laughs) i don't know that's a claim to fame at this very moment in time yeah it's probably not a good start a love for the police not (laughs) Uh, now to kick us off maybe you can share with the audience who you are what you do and why you do it uh, my name is James McIntosh. I'm originally from South Africa, currently reside in Australia. Uh, I'm an online coach. I run a business called Only the Committed. Um, we work predominantly with anyone who comes from some form of um, strength training background that has been injured. Um, kind of furthers or feathers out into comp prep as well, kind of into sports management, strength sports um, kind of has a few tiers that it runs down. Um, but why I kind of got into this industry or got into the specific uh, style of coaching was I got injured myself. Um, I was a pretty competitive um, Olympic weightlifter and powerlifter for South Africa and landed up getting really badly injured. Um, and unfortunately, at that time period, it was kind of very new in the industry at my age to get as injured as I did and go through the surgeries that I did and I was very alone. Um, and the big thing from that and what I took from that is I never wanted anyone to kind of feel or go through the experience that I did at that time. And that's kind of what I try and instill in any forms of coaching that I now bring to the, to the forefront and try and just, you know, support my athletes from that side, not necessarily from hopefully uh, injury preventative programming or making sure that things, you know, go as best as possible, but more so just from the, the actual supportive side and, Hey, like you've got someone if you need to, um, from that perspective. So that was a, a big, it was an interesting learning curve for me through that time period. It was about three, four years worth of just shit, to be 100% honest. Um, and with that, you know, it really, it changed my whole aspect and changed my life. Um, as cliche as that is, but changed my life into what I am able to kind of do now and, uh, and bring to the business and my clients and everything currently. Mm. I always think that people who do really well in their field, that sort of like passion or drive to do as well as they do has to come from some sort of pain or some place of discomfort. And it sounds definitely to be true here, which puts you in a unique position, not just, you know, you're not like just an armchair, you know, rehab guy. You've you've been through it. You know, you, you can empathize, you know what it feels like. You understand the mental roadblocks. And I think yep. that's so important with any sort of practitioner. Yeah, I think it's it's the the skin in the game 
and that we can talk about, you know, from rehab, from coaching, from anything. It's like, if you haven't Dean, like if you hadn't got as lean as you did, it's like you, it, your clients in themselves will never really understand or never be able to kind of um, relate to you when you give out coaching prescriptions or try and get them comp ready. It's like, it's not, I, I always kind of, you got to walk the walk. Uh, I just don't like the idea. And I'm not saying go and get injured. Please don't do that. Um, don't go get injured to try and get better at injury prevention. Like that's a stupid thing. But the idea is like you have to be able to empathize and go through those experiences because it does come up. Like you know when when hunger like hits or when we go through those intense hunger phases that you can to a certain degree understand, but then still kind of tell them to get over their bullshit and carry on. It's like you you know where the fine line is on both sides. And like Lizzie, from my understanding, like with your more than nutrition base and kind of the mental side. It's like you're able to, um, you know, relate to your clients better and kind of help them through the process on a better pro, like better standpoint mm. because of your experiences. Mm. And yeah. if we are able to do that as coaches and take our story as, as it were in the story that we've lived and take the principles and what, what's come from that and portray that into our coaching, I think you, you land up being a better coach. Yeah. 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 Like maybe we can exchange the word story for trauma. Maybe we don't <laughs> want to use the word, but like you went through a lot of trauma. I think a comp prep is quite traumatic. I had some eating disorders and mm. that was quite traumatic. And I think when we're helping other people recover from some sort of trauma or they're going through trauma, like a prep, for example, I don't know. Is that too much of a dramatic word? Can we use this word? I oh, just I mean, trauma, trauma comes with different layer, levels of severity. Okay. Well, yeah. where yeah, I'm going what, with this is yeah, like, I, we, I know where you're going. Yeah. Okay. I, I'd like to hear your opinion if you think it's too much. Just a moment. Um, when the people who are going through this, I feel like sometimes uh, clients want to feel like you understand them. You've been there. You can appreciate what they're saying. They don't want to talk to just someone in a lab coat who's just like, oh, that's interesting. Well, you're fucked up and here's a pill. <laughs> they, they want to speak to someone that's real that's been there. But, okay, tell me what you think. Is, is trauma too... Well, I'm sorry, I, I agree with um, like your definition of what the client's referring to. They, they don't want necessarily a solution. They just want kind of to be heard that this is normal or this is part of the process. Uh-huh. And that's like the, the kind of what we have to learn um, from a communication aspect of being able to get that across to clients, but then also tell them like, it's okay. Now we got to carry on. It's like, uh-huh. we don't dwell in the victimness. We don't like the victimhood. We don't dwell in the trauma or the pain that's kind of being occurred or being associated with it. It's like, cool, that's happened. Let's work the problem. Let's oh. continue with our solution. Let's keep moving forward from that side. Mm. So trauma to me, I come obviously from a bit of um, emergency medicine side, so more paramedicine. Like that's trauma. A gunshot to the head is trauma, is how I kind of define trauma. Uh-huh. It's more objective. Mm-hmm. Is I think when I think of trauma from that side, subject I don't want to say subjective. That's the wrong word. But subjectively, like emotional trauma or something like that, I find it very difficult personally to quantify it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's from a metric base, it's something that I'm, I personally can't really understand. Like I've been diagnosed with PTSD and I go through all of those processes from my past experiences is the word that I would probably use. Um, because I see trauma from my, you know, objective measure of, Hey, a car accident created this type of mechanism of injury which which then would be related with this trauma and vice versa and that so trauma to me is an interesting it's um, a bit abstract it's abstract that's that's the Mm -hmm. best way to kind of use it from that side but Mm -hmm. you know if you can define a term or definition and you can relate to it then yes perfect 
whatever word works. It's, it's, you know, the same way that we give exercise prescriptions. Some people will call it a single arm lap pull down. And some people will call it (laughs) fucking whatever they decide to name it on the day. It's it's, It's it's like a seal row versus a chest supported barbell row. Yeah. Like why is it a seal row? What do they do? Yeah, yeah. There's like maybe there's a shape of like the upper thoracic that's silly, but it's like, hey, it's still chest supported and it's a barbell row. Can we just can we stop putting names on exercises from our surnames? Like I feel like that's a blanket statement that just needs to be thrown around. In oh, I love it. The what? industry. I call them boob squashes because if you ever do anything chest supported with boobs, oh my god. But this is the thing, right? Woo! If you wrote a boob squ- a boob squash row to a female, she would get it. But if you wrote it to a male, not. This I wouldn't have a clue. No, I'd be looking around for like, do what's the boob thing? Like, where? What do I need to do at this time? Like, that's yeah. But that's it. It's it's using the verbiage that then relates or correlates to your clients from that side, I think. So trauma could work. Experiences could work. I don't know. Whatever, you know, fish could work. Whatever kind of comes across and and gets the point across, I suppose, is the best way to to learn that. Yeah, I think in this instance, it's less about, though, your experience as a coach, had you have been the client in this instance, the person who's had the injury or the person who's done the prep, is less about your ability to empathize and more about your ability to understand what is necessary to actually apply the rules and confines and like all that stuff that you're putting on the client. Like I could say to someone, Hey man, you just got to eat protein and veggies for the next three days. It's not that hard. And like, I don't have to have done that to know that that's going to be somewhat hard, but if I have done it, I'm going to know exactly what that means. Like that means that I can't eat anything else other than these following foods, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So it's more the, the understanding of the application and what's necessary to achieve the outcome. I think that, well, it gives the it, it gives the deeper perspective of what you're trying to do. It's like mm. like you, that example is perfect. From that example, it's like if you haven't been through that dieting period or trying to get to that ex- significantly low body fat percentage, when your coach just said to you, "Hey, the next five days you're just going to have protein and veg meals of your five meals," it's like we, if we've gone through that, go fuck. That means I can't do sauces. I can't do any carbs. I can, I've got to be very mindful of my vegetable intake. I've got to make sure that my fiber intake is there. Like we kind of go through this whole process of elimination of like, okay, shit, what can't I have? Whereas the other person who hasn't done that, it's like, yeah, oh, but I told you to eat protein and vegetables. Like that's simple. Mm. Just go and do it. Yeah. Like, what are the consequences? Well, simple isn't always easy. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, and what are the consequences? You should of say this that decision? more often, Dean. See? You're 100 percent right. Uh, <laughs> but then you can't bicker. <laughs> that's the best part. Like that's that's what I miss from being in a relationship is the fights. Of course, that's the best part. Uh, to be fair, I don't enjoy them. We've um we mainly because I'm wrong. Very very rarely. I'm always fight. wrong. Um, we've I think we've run out of things to fight about. Like in in a year, it'll be a decade together. But we, we do bicker, don't yeah. we? We do yeah. bicker, sorry. Both but, that's, but that's normal, though, I think. You've yeah. got, like, to a, a certain thing. extent, yeah, it's healthy. Like, it's, you can't go through life, like, living with your person. I mean, you guys have been traveling for how long now? A year, nearly. Nearly, yeah. It's a, it'll that's be a crazy. Long. So, it's like, imagine spending, I mean, you do spend a lot of time here, but now imagine spending, like, a year's worth of on the road with your person. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's epic from the perspective of, like, watching you guys as an outsider it's cool to see like the fact that you guys are doing it. And at the same time, you're still able to respect your boundaries and do whatever you need to do on either side. It's like, it's cool to see that because it just shows you how, you know, in depth or how connected from that relationship side, you can actually be like, I know a lot of partners who go away together 
and they go on like a three week holiday and they come back and it's like a bombshell went off. <laughs> like, um, it's like, oh shit, like that's there's your tester right there. But it's it's so it's we've cool had to see our warm ups before the trip, haven't we? Like, <laughs> we we lived together, we share some friends, we we still work together before this. So mm. not a lot has changed. Um and I'm extroverted. I love to make friends and talk to people, old mate, not so much. Oh, and I just, oh, sorry, am I tapping a cord? Oh. I, um, I've learned that if I want to go out and be social, Dean doesn't have to come with me. He can just like stay home and watch the footy on the telly. I'll go make friends by myself. How amazing of a realization is that though? Like, because <laughs> I feel like more people need to understand that. It's like, you can be your own human and still be together with someone. Like that's, yeah. You know, uh, I don't, I don't know how we got onto relationship things because my life, my life's a mess with relationships. Like that's just a nightmare. But the idea is like you should be able to be an individual and then a pair together. Like that's yeah. what I've always. That's how my kind of parents, you know, in, taught me from that side. I mean, they're, they're divorced, but the idea is like that was always. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that. Um, that was always kind of the theory behind us. Like, you have to be an individual to mm. then be able to come together and be a pair whether you're opposites whether you're the same like that's always a it's always a an interesting outlook or a conversation i suppose um, yeah mine was always like find find an independent woman who don't need no man that also compliments myself mm. that's all i've ever yeah. been interested in. you want me to compliment you like yeah. you're good looking yeah you know that's so good. how can you not, how can you not say that every single day like, he's just <laughs> handsome like that's what I feel like you if you're what? not saying that on a daily basis, you I'm need to be saying one. that. Yeah. He has a really good butt. And even after 10 years, I haven't stopped every time I see his butt. Even this morning, I was like, God, you're such a good ass. I just, I can't get over it. Well, it's there's, just, there's the key, obviously. That's the key right there. So, <laughs> no butt stuff. It's a no butt stuff house. No butt stuff. Yeah, that's fine. I'm per- I feel like that's a trend I'm definitely okay to get on. Uh-huh. That's that's a hard no in my line. We're Have good. We We're derailed fine. This completely. This completely. Okay. Completely. And that's okay. We, no, actually, this is a perfect segue. We somehow got on anal. How, how do we prevent injuries when somebody <laughs> doesn't want butt stuff, but the other one does? Okay. You just, just no. No. <laughs> no, no means no. How is yeah. there a segue from anal to injury prevention? Uh, listen, I've had to, I've got some Let's stories talk about of clients. The dirty truths of injury prevention. There you go. <laughs> Look, I like that. We'll go with that one. Talking about weird butt stuff for the rest of the podcast. We might have to do another one. We'll do a butt stuff pod- podcast and then another one after that. Yeah, so it's, I mean, we could segue it into like butt stuff into uh, you know, I see. Yeah, glute work. There we go. We could go like uh, uh, posterior and or posterior or anterior pelvic tilts that then end up being actually in the forefront of of both of our um, our clientele. Like we'll see it in bodybuilding. We'll see it in most gen pop um, populations just because they've over overcorrected or overdone to try and kind of get the the bigger bum as they were is like what we see in that. Like that's a that's an interesting conversation if you look at the mechanisms behind what's going on from the pelvis and the rib cage from both sides like that's that's where we see a lot of injuries i don't know if you you'll see a lot of clients um come with like lower back pain is the typical one whether it's gen pop you know even bodybuilding from that side more so bodybuilding will see inability to um grow glutes or hamstrings and a lot of those actually got to do with one posing position and that um anterior pelvic tilt (laughs) so if you think about that anterior pelvic tilt and like dropping into that position if our hips are now kind of facing forward and down we are pre-shortening or uh, 
pre-lengthening out the hamstrings, and then we have an inability to actually load through the glutes. So it's like if we're stuck in that that tilt all the time, and we'll sit in bodybuilding, they'll sit down, the, the kind of the front of the hip will sit down, will sit up and have that duck walk. And what immediately happens is the sternum kind of rises. So we have now what we have like a pump handle up, which kind of refers to the rib cage. So we'll have pump handle up um, and bucket handle up. So it's pump handle up, rib cage is flared, which is great for bodybuilding if we're kind of in our front position or our front relaxed pose, because that helps. The problem is when we're stuck in this position, we can't drive effective tension into our lower body. So it's now understanding if that's a precursor or pre, pre-assessment injury or pre-position that they're stuck in, we're going to have a problem when we start programming for weaker areas, which predominantly will be glutes and hamstrings. If you ever see your guys come to you, like they'll be proud. They'll maybe have a bit of a chest. They won't have any lats, and they'll struggle with mid-back as well, and then they won't have any hamstrings. Like it's all correlated from that side and that it predisposes you to injuries. They won't be able to get overhead. They won't be able to, they'll have shoulder niggles or shoulder problems from that. And it's all from literally the, the pop can. I don't have a can, but the pop can actually not being stacked and not mm-hmm. being able to then apply effective attention from that side. So if that's our start position, we can then start looking like, okay, I know what injuries are going to happen. Like it's just kind of like common sense. It's like, okay, we're stuck in this position. We're like stuck in a retracted position all the time from this. Like I'm not going to get overhead. So what's going to happen when I do or I program any form of overhead work or even pressing work, we're just going to be loading into structure. As soon as we load into structure, that's where you kind of see the deterioration of joints, deterioration of joint integrity. And then we see injuries occur because now there's, there's too much force being applied to tissues that are not what we're trying to aim for. We've got someone trying to build you know, upper pecs. Cool. We put them in a more high, like a slightly more <clears throat> inclined position if it's good for their anatomical position. You start driving that that volume through there. We've got all anterior delt kind of coming through, and that joint is just stuck. It's like now we're going to see that like you'll get the bicep tendony pain. You'll get the um, pain in pressing. You'll get the pain out of the elbows. Is usually like from a pressing perspective, you'll see that dealing with like, your clients when volume gets really high on pressing. Mm. And that's all got to do with like, hey, we've got an inability for like structure function at the shoulder. So it's like, if we know that off the bat and we know that from the position that they were starting in, we could dust in or kind of sprinkle in some exercises from the very beginning, still drive home the volume that we're trying to aim towards with like little tweaks and then work on what I call like plugging the holes in the boat. So that the boat doesn't sink, but we can still drive towards that volume of what we're trying to do. There was a word vomit of a whole bunch of things. No, that was great. So is that something that you find people don't do enough of? All they think is like, oh, I need to do this much volume or this many working sets to this proximity to failure. And they forget about plugging the holes. Yeah. So what the, where I see the, the downfall of all this is we kind of go, what are our big bang for buck exercises? And we kind of, we, we think muscle tension, we think kind of origin to insertion. And that's great. Like that works. It works really well. And that is kind of like the forefront or the meat and nuts of well, meat and potatoes. So what the people say? Meat <laughs> and, and the bolt and nuts and the meat. But I like <clears> how you combine Meat and nuts works. Yeah. Meat and nuts. I think meat and nuts work really well Sausage for that. Like, uh, yeah. Sausage banger, but banger and nuts. Yeah. <laughs> banger and nuts. Yeah. That's your, yeah. Banger and nuts of the, like the, that's the heart of the program. Like we need to be able to do that. We need some form of mid range based exercise. So I, I like looking at 
exercise selection around <clears throat> mid-range, uh, lengthened and, and fully shortened, or fully lengthened, fully shortened, and then understanding like where we're stronger, where we're weaker from that, and then kind of like subcategories from that. So mid-range exercises are going to be our ones we can load the most. It's our strongest. That's we're the strongest in our mid-range. Lengthened and fully shortened, we are our weakest is predominantly what it is, but we do understand that if we can get into a fully lengthened position, we the literature kind of states or we can see it that we should be able to accrue more metabolic stress. So for hypertrophy, lengthened ranges seem to be really effective for that, but understand that that is a weaker position. So we're not necessarily going to be trying to load someone very heavy in a lengthened position. And the exercise selection almost like auto-regulates that or dictates mm. that already. So a lengthened position exercise, like it doesn't, it, it's not mid-range. Let's think of a, an inclined dumbbell curl. It's like, I'm not going to go very heavy on that because I can't, because I've, I'm like, I, I'm unstable. I don't have the ability to get there. I'm in that fully lengthened position. I just realized this lights just got really bad. Um, but from that position versus a preacher curl, you can preacher curl way more than you can incline dumbbell curl. So, in understanding like mid-range, short, and lengthened positions, the next category on top of that is what do those ranges expose me to in terms of positioning of the body? This is where we can go, okay, the, this exposure range or these positions it puts me in comes with secondary and tertiary benefits of being in those exercises. And that's where the secondary and tertiary benefits land up helping for long-term sustainability of injury prevention. Injury prevention is load management. Load management is biomechanics. That's actually what it is when we think about it in the long run. So a uh, fully shortened position of a bicep, we use this one quite a lot because it's very easy to see and visually to see. It's a nice high bicep cable. Curl. It's like, Dean, you're not going to be able to pull a full stack here. Uh-huh. So it's not going to happen. We're, we're more unstable. We're more uh, We're weaker overhead. That's the first thing. And we're weaker in the shortened position. Now, being in this position here, what does this require my shoulder to be able to do? To stabilize. Okay, what musculature would we use to stabilize the shoulder? We've got serratus, we've got lower traps, rhomboids kind of come there, we've got teres. Like there's a a huge amount of smaller musculature around the shoulder that has to keep us in this position and be able to effectively apply attention across the bicep. It's not necessarily going to grow my bicep the most in this exercise, I could go and do preacher or maybe a, a inclined dumbbell curl, but what it is going to do, it's going to force me to have to contract and stabilize in an overhead position. What do bodybuilders and most people in life struggle with getting overhead? So if I can now dose in the ability to get overhead and get stronger and increase the strength, which then will increase the stability of the joint in this position, it's like long-term, this is actually a really smart exercise to do. Because one, I can drive volume into the bicep. As we know, volume is kind of what you want in terms of trying to grow muscle. It's low fatiguing volume. Second to that, and I think that's a real like caveat on top of it. You got someone to the back end of preps. It's like, cool, we need to drive volume, but we're also looking at fatigue. So if I can pick an exercise that I know you're going to recover from fast, that means I could probably do it more. And if I can do it more and keep you more stable and keep your joints healthier, I'm not going to have that massive fatigue that kind of kicks in from injuries or kicks in from the ability to not perform an exercise. Mm. It's like you could do a set of high bicep cable curls five days a week. That's only five sets of volume. It's quite a lot. But if you have to look at it, like it's not going to be 
the equivalent of doing five sets of preacher curls, for example. But I've kept your shoulders healthy, which means that you can press, which means we can effectively drive volume to the pecs, which we probably need, or to our back. So <clears throat> understanding that exercises then from shortened and lengthened and positions will then effectively drive injury and load management mm. because that's what I'm trying to do. I, I need to keep an athlete healthy. It's like, yeah, what we do is not the healthiest thing in terms of like, it's not, we know that like the sport is not healthy, but if I can keep the body healthy or kind of sustainable as best as I can, it means I can train longer. The longer I can train, the more muscle I can accrue. Yeah. Apparently you're that's less the last thing to get an injury just from making the bed. Cause you hear about this mm. stuff like bodybuilders or even power lifters who yep. don't do rehab and prehab work. Like what you just brought the groceries in from inside, like from, from the boot and you got injured. How can you deadlift this much? You can't even bring the groceries in. Mm. It's because they miss this stuff. Well, I mean, I think it's something like 90, like 5% or less than 5% of injuries that are like gym related happen in the gym. Right. We never get injured in the gym. Who like you only get injured in the gym. If you're like going for one rep max where you're powerlifting or it's like, it's normally competition or something like that. I've, I've never been injured in the gym. I've been injured on platform, on stage, like from on stage, on um, like platform or, or high working sets. You don't get injured going and doing your single arm table pull. No. Mm-hmm. no. It doesn't because it, it, it's not relative from that side. Where we see the problem though, <clears throat> this is exactly it. Understanding that exercise selection could buffer in our ability to prevent these injuries. For example, you know, the bodybuilder who t- bends over and ties his shoelace and throws his back out or slips a disc. Uh-huh. They, I don't know. How, you can't slip a disc. You don't slip on it. Fuck. But the <laughs> idea is like the, the disc, there's, there's a back injury that occurs. And it's usually because there's been some form of flexion and then some form of rotation. Like That's what we kind of need. We need sheer force and flexion for a disc bulge or some form of disc injury to occur. That's the most common one that if we think about it. So what is that? It's like, cool, we've bent over and then I've turned. So if I think about that, it's like what movements in the gym could emulate that or help build resilience around that? A three-point row. I've got an anti-rotation exercise. I've got a really good exercise that brings in obliques, brings in kind of anterior and posterior sling from that side. Excuse me. It's not the best hypertrophy tool. We know that. But if I can make sure that you stay more resilient throughout the whole program, I'm going to throw like a contralateral row in there all day long because rotation, obviously, or, or being able to resist rotation is going to benefit us in life. And the more I can keep you resilient in life, whether you're a bodybuilder or whatever it is, like you're going to be able to train. And the other side of that, and this is the side that I think more physique development coaches could look at, what do we usually struggle with from a thoracic position when we get into posing? Being able to actually turn and rotate into the pose. Mm. Is a three-point row not going to help us with that? Yeah. But a lot. So when I start looking at like sports-specific, because that's how I look at like programming for physique competitors or even like life from that side. <clears throat> if someone can't rotate, most people can't rotate. Like if they sit, if you sit there and you try and rotate, like my rotation is shitty. Most people are worse than you. It's like okay, I've got an anti-rotation movement that will allow me to eccentrically load as well as then bring in kind of the sling work obliques, like stabilize the pelvis. But now I can teach someone how to rotate safely and drive some form of co-contraction around the exercise, which will elicit some form of hypertrophy, if not 
quite a lot of hypertrophy. Like I think co-contraction based exercises are not utilized as effectively. It's like, why did the barbell, the bent over row make guys back so big? It's like, it doesn't line up fibers. Mm. The fibers are pretty shitty. It's like more Terry's kind of a bit of like thoracic lat. Well, it's the co-contraction. The amount of force that we had to produce to be able to stabilize and actually throw that weight around. Like that's co-contraction. Co-contraction helps elicit you know, hypertrophy to a great extent. So if we can start looking at exercises and create an exercise index that is essentially movements throughout through planes. So like transverse plane, rotate like um frontal plane and then sagittal plane, and then categorize exercises into these different planes and understand what the benefits of each plane are and what we can use them for. It's like you can actually be very effective in programming, making sure we still elicit the goal. The goal is to get strong and big, always. In every aspect, it's strength training. That's people forget this. I don't understand. Like <laughs> we're doing strength training, but everyone forgets like to get strong. <laughs> that that yeah. blows my mind when we think about it. Like everyone's like, "Oh, I'm just going to sit on machines and carry on doing it." It's like, okay, I get that, but like you're underloading yourself. It's single arm movements had this massive takeoff, and I like I actually think you were a big part of it into Australia from Joe. My understanding, mm. like I saw it like it move through the whole thing. But you know what? Single arm movements have allowed us very effectively to do underload the body. Mm. To Instead of going bilateral and doing full stack on your lap pull down, you've now come to like a third of the lap pull down stack because you can only do it with one arm, which is great because it means like the runway for progression is huge. But understand like that's all we really did. Yeah, we started to elicit quite a lot of growth from that because there was co contraction involved. We started aligning fibers a little bit more effectively. But the idea is like we load managed. Why have you probably seen less athletes or more athletes getting less hurt? when moving over to that type of programming because they're now putting less load on their body. Yeah. Because it's yeah, not well, load. We're training in sort of, uh, I suppose, um, tighter confines that limit... Constraints, yeah. Yeah, that limit the potential for someone putting themselves in a poor position that we otherwise can't control from the bird's eye view as the online coach. Right, coach, you know? yeah. And that's it. That's it. Exercise selection then dictate or constraints of exercise selection dictates the ability to apply effective attention at effective tension across muscle fibers and hopefully keep them in a position that is going to be less likely for them to get hurt. That's, that's what we do as online coaches. I have, I don't know, you probably the same 25 to 30 exercises that I use all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I use more than that because I don't, the honesty, I don't need to one. I can get everything that I need on that Two, The fluffy shit doesn't work. So it's like, mm. Don't put the fluffy shit in because I can't control it. There's too many variables. And like, you're a data guy. Like, there's too many variables there. It's like, if I've now got something that, you know, there's 10 ways that they could possibly not do the exercise effectively, I'm not going to give them that exercise. Because even as a coach and being in person, people still fuck it up. Yeah. So it's like, there's always this moment, I think, when programming, I'm like, hmm, they've used this one relatively consistently now for the past. Like, what could I do instead? And then I go through my list and I'm like, none of those are as good. You know, and if I do that one, I'm going to have to give them two of this one. So now they're doing more exercises. But yep. um, what I like you getting at, and you can talk more to this, I think, James, is that a, a well thought out process to movement patterns, as well as targeting specific tissues for the purpose of hypertrophy, 
if you do that appropriately, we should then technically, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, see less of a need for somebody to spend so much time doing, I'll say, the fluff work prior to a training session in this whole prehab, prescriptive activation work and all the rest of it because we're, yep. we're, we're ticking those boxes within the actual training program. That's the goal. So that's the goal in the long run. And when I look at programs, so in the very beginning, you have someone who comes to you and they have, you've done your assessment. You understand that there is some form of asymmetry that has occurred. There's some form of discrepancy. There's some form of not injury presence or prone to injury presence that's there. Now, understanding that you've got to look at your program and go, okay, I need to double down on certain aspects. I'm not a big fan of the whole like activation thing. Mm-hmm. Eh. Fuck. I mean, doesn't a muscle so, activate when you move it? But, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, you know the, this is the easiest way to kind of like, I try and dispel it as best as we can with this. Most people walk into the gym with a gym bag in their hand. It's a pretty, it's, it's got some weight to it most of the time. Even if you've got a one liter shaker, like that's one kilogram roughly. Okay, so now we've got that. They walk into the gym, they're holding it in one hand because no one ever holds things like this and walks around. So they're holding it in one hand and they go to wherever they're doing and say they're doing deadlifts or whatever it is and they lie on the floor and they do a dead bug. You had more anti-rotation work walking into the gym holding your uneven bag, like your weight on one bag and having to resist that force to an oblique sling than lying on the floor and fucking doing this. Okay. It has now don't get me wrong. Context from this is it has a place rehab, very rehabby, like very geriatric. Cool. It has a place. Do you know why? Because they're weaker than gravity. Mm. They can't, they actually are not strong enough to stand up and down. They can't body squat. They can't do anything from that. And that's kind of how I like give it metrics around that. It's like, if you're weaker than gravity, do that thing. Do those because gravity is your load. If you're stronger than gravity, which most of your clientele could be, should be, that's R. Please say should. (laughs) Fuck. R. Definitely R. It's like, hey, like the load is needs to match the stimulus. The stimulus has to be there. So it's like someone like that needs to do a three-point row, a a single-leg RDL. Now, in the beginning, what that may look like is it may like integrate and this is kind of from the prescript philosophy, but it may integrate into our like our warm-up sets with these exercises that give us access to range, allow us to load that range, and then use the new range that we've accrued in an exercise. So the idea in the very beginning is we kind of go, let's use the deadlift, for example. Let's go in the very beginning, maybe it's some form of like RDL, so single leg RDL. Cool. That kind of lets us eccentrically load the glutes. We get some form of internal rotation if we're doing a contralateral row or contralateral kind of grip. So as we load back, we get that head of femur kind of filling up that space, uh, allowing us to get into internal rotation. And as we come up, we hopefully express some form of external rotation. Let's do most people are very tight externally rotate or have very tight external rotators. Let's do some form of modified pigeon pose because stretching is not bad because it allows us to give us or gets us into a range. The problem that I find is when people stretch, they stretch and then they go home. Mm. Like you've given yourself, it's like you've opened the garage door, but you've left your car outside still. It's like, what the fuck's the point? Put the car in the garage door. Like go in, you've opened the door. Like that's the point. Mm. So stretching gives us the ability to get into that range. Let's stretch our external rotators because we have 
a vast majority and much bigger ones in our lower body than external rotators. So let's stretch to that. We've loaded kind of into that internal rotation. We've given ourselves access to these two new ranges. Go and do your first warm-up set of deadlifts or RDLs. Let's use a barbell RDL because that's probably a more effective exercise that we will all use. Barbell RDL, you do your first set. You go back and you do the sequence again and you come for set two of your warm-up and then set three. And maybe by set three, you feel good and you can just continue. Uh-huh. Just carry on. And then down later in your program, maybe in a lower body day, you've got a three-point row. Why? Because it's the progression from the bird dog that we knew we needed to help with kind of our inability to rotate, our inability to stabilize our pelvis. It's like The goal is to exercise correctly, not to use corrective exercises, but exercise correctly in the long run and load them. Like Don't strength training, load it. We have to be effective in being able to load it. And that's exactly it. The principle is to move away down. The, the, the ultimate goal is walking into the gym, be able to kind of self-assess of what's going on. Cool, I've got RDLs today. Hips are feeling a little bit tight. I'm going to go through one set of like a pigeon pose to stretch my external rotators. Maybe I do some form of, again, the RDL or maybe a split stance or a landmine type of RDL. Oh, I already got some good range out of that. Cool, on the bar, work. Mm not sit there and Jane fonder it on the side and fucking yeah. so it's more, it's more about integration. Off, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's That's integration. It's <laughs> okay. Integration. Um, because when people think about prehab and rehab, I often get this feeling that they dismiss it because they don't have time to add some 45 minutes of foam rolling and stretching in the beginning without realizing that it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah, well, that's yeah. it. No one, no one does have 45 minutes to do before they do their hour and a half gym session. Unless you're a drug dealer or an online coach, like <laughs> you, you don't have that time. Like let's be a hundred percent. That, that's the only correlation I have there. Cause you know, online coaches have the freedom usually from that time or the drug dealer is can yeah, same so person. Online coaches, drug dealers, the same people. Same, same, it. same, um, same is what I'm saying. I also don't have the time because I'll fall a fucking sleep. <laughs> I'm impatient and I like to juggle about 40 things in one day. I just physically would explode. Like I couldn't. Mm. But that's, so it's just understanding that like every exercise, and this is how I'd like putting it. It's like, and I've got, I've got Excel spreadsheets of this and I build this out kind of on a monthly basis. And I just kind of relook at it. Excuse me. Is every exercise has a primary, secondary and tertiary benefit. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. The high bicep cable kill is the best one. It's like, okay, yes, it's, it's a, essentially there for, um, bicep growth, if we will, bicep hypertrophy. We're trying to create an illicit response to grow the bicep, but we're in an unstable position. So secondary of that could be we're in an overhead position. We're giving access to that range. Tertiary of that is, hey, we start to use our serratus, our teres, our rhomboids. Okay, now I have a client who struggles to get overhead. So instead of making them press overhead, they're going to bicep kill overhead because oh. the load is less. Like they could press and use to structure, I don't know, 30, 40 kilograms. You've got some strong boys. It's like I know, like Alex, for example, Shana Alex, like Alex can press overhead significantly heavy. It's like, but maybe I want to be able to integrate a little bit more function in being able to get overhead or God forbid something happens and like he now can't press overhead. It's like, let's go give him the bicep cable call. Let's you give him the overhead tricep extension. Mm. Same same concept with the overhead tricep extension. It's like it's putting us here. That's the goal to get there. Most people can't do that. I can't do that. I'm learning through structure. I'll start someone here. 
with the cable coming from here. And once they get strong enough to be able to do it here, then we go like a little bit higher up and a little bit higher up. And that's the progression. The progression started here with the tricep extension. And as we slowly get higher and higher up, it's like now my serratus is being called upon to stabilize here. My scap is having to rapidly rotate, having to pro like having to actually sit in a position to stabilize the shoulder. So I'm training the tricep, but I'm benefiting all the other aspects of the upper body movement to then make sure that I don't get injured in the long run of programming. Mm. I find people like doing what they're good at. And because I guess in every sport, people are like, bro, what are your numbers? You won't be able to curl as much here as you can down here. Do you ever get clients that don't want to do that stuff because they can't lift as much? And it's, so, I don't yeah. know, some bruise to the ego. Yeah, so I do. So do you know what I do? I give them what they want and I give them what I want. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or you place it at the end and then make it metabolic. Something. Mm. Perfect. And that's, and that's exactly explaining it. Yeah. So the education side, I think, is a big aspect of coaching. Um, and, you know, all coaches, I think, from that side need to give some form of rationale as to why they're doing it. One, it makes sure that they actually know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And two, it builds buy-in. It's like every client that we have buys into the program, not just because you get results, but because you can explain what you're doing. Like there's a process. When you go through your periodization map with them or they see the periodization map, they're like, oh, shit, Dean's got a 52-week plan. I'm bought in. I'm staying for 52 weeks. Like I'm looking long-term. I want the progression. It's when we get this, here's your program. Now, why are you doing this? Because I say so. Fuck off. Like you, you, you actually are being negligible as a coach. You need to be able to explain why. Like, also, if you just say because I say so, you don't know what you're doing. You've just you cherry picked your exercises. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, so I agree that the education side needs to be there. And I think being able to have the, the conversation with the client at any stage on whatever level they're on and be like, hey, there's a reason why. It's like, why do I have bicep chemicals every single day? It's like, because we have a problem with our shoulders. We really need to try and double down on this. This position here allows me to get you into this unstable position and we can, you know, really train that. Okay. That makes perfect sense. 30 oh. seconds. It's like, it, it's a, it's a great question because I think it needs to be presented more. It needs to be kind of spoken about more. Like you need to know what you, why you're doing things for the sake of doing things. Yeah, well, it's a 30 second conversation because you know why you put it there. Yeah. As it is well, arbitrary. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is good for you. There's body. something. It's like I just feel like it works better. Yeah, it's. I find this like a super interesting conversation because you know, like a you know, a specific outcome typically re- requires a specific stimulus or a specific approach. But then the more specific you get, the potentially like the lower the function is, and then you need to fix the function. And it's this well-rounded sort of you know multifactorial understanding that this isn't just about how do you make the bicep as big as possible, but rather how do we do that and then sustain this and then repeat this? And then yeah. also what are the carryover effects to the other muscles when we do it this way? You know? and, and that's the, that's exactly it. The idea is like we kind of run on a sliding scale is how I look at it. It's like, okay, we have function and we have action. So action is function is how we walk and breathe. Action is origin to insertion. Mm-hmm. And every exercise and every program kind of like will like sway more to one side and more sway more like kind of to the other side. And, and it needs to kind of be fluid throughout the whole process. You go through phases where we're really trying to double down on strength, for example, understanding that when this happens, I'm going to have to dose in some exercise that are going to keep the body or plug the holes in the, the sinking ship. 
to keep the strength going at the same time. And then out of that, I may have to focus my exercise more towards like the functional benefits of an exercise being, you know, like maybe we're more underloading exercise. We're using exercises that put us in positions, you know, where we have to create more co-contraction. We have to underload and then get more sling work going or overhead stability. It's like, there's quite a few aspects to this, but if you keep looking at the program and you, sway back and forth from the scale the balance scale if you want to use that one like the idea is like that's the point like we you're not just supposed to sit there and go well i'm gonna underload everything because that's the best way to make sure that i see long-term gains like strength training get fucking strong but understand like when that happens injuries are gonna happen like no one anyone who says they can prevent injuries is lying like your programming will never prevent injuries. It's injury risk management. Uh-huh. We're trying to give you the the most ability or the, the biggest possibility that you do not get injured. Yeah. That's it. It's mm-hmm. going to happen at some stage. There's going to be a niggle. There's going to be a tweak. There's going to be something that comes up. God forbid. I hate saying that because that's what happens. But if we understand what happens and when it happens, and hopefully it's as small an injury as possible because we've been able to do all these things. So it's as um, lesser an extent of an injury, we can kind of correct for it straight away or we problem solve or we audit our programs and go, mm, there's a lot of pressing volume going on here. He's complaining about like elbows are starting to get really sore. He's definitely looking a little bit more internally rotated in his check-in photos. Like, okay, hold on. Let's pull back on some volume. Let's give him access into more external rotation. Let's give him access overhead. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of correct like right there and then little, nothing necessarily has to change from a volume perspective from an overall program. We just change slight exercise section. We underload them. We put them in better positions, take a step back to take a step forward. And that's, that works really well when you look at the fluidity of how that can actually be so effective because an injured athlete means they can't train. Last time I checked, it's like when you can't train, we don't build muscle. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that wasn't true. This highlights yeah. me the importance of actually getting a coach that knows what the fuck they're talking about, but also not just buying some like, I don't know, cookie cutter. It signs yeah. what's, yeah, you know, like train with me glutes program. Like, yeah. okay, cool. That maybe worked for one person, but like, why did you inflect yeah. nothing? <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't see a dude selling Why, why wasn't he at train with me? I'm thinking, what's her name? I'm trying to name drop her, but I can't remember it. Damn it. Someone name drop her in a negative. Oh, Kayla. Oh, I was thinking Taylor. You know, I think it's, it's Sennis or something like that. It's like, I think she's one of those ones like the name M-A-R-I-E, new word, C-L-A-I-R-E, Marie Claire, right? No, it's Marie Claire. Right. Okay. Whatever. Anyways, this person that I'm trying to think of, I don't necessarily need to highlight one person because there's so many people in the industry that have these, as you say, cookie cutter programs. And people are like, it's so fantastic. It hurts so much. It burns. I sweat. Like, if if sweating was a metric for growth, go to a fucking sauna. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. if burning well, was a metric, that, that like, go do butt stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and what, about heat, what about heat shock proteins, though? There's sauna micro muscle. We don't know. <laughs> uh, um, it, you know, like, you mentioned before about the 52-week plan. I think this is kind of, again, uh, a pullback. We've, we've spoken about this on a multiple podcast about the benefit of at least forecasting and intention is yep. that... You can have, I like your uh, comment there, if you have action, you have function, and you typically will sway one way or the other. In a, in a phase that we're dry, trying to drive very specific hypertrophy, we might say we're leaning more towards action yep. with the understanding that when we get through that phase, we now have the opportunity to lean more towards function so that we can drive more action later on. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it. Otherwise, we just go backwards. The idea is that you do have to lean again. We lean slightly more towards. Yeah, yeah. There still has to be those things that plug the holes in the ship. We know what's going to happen because unfortunately you can sway way too far to action, get injured. And now it's like, Oh, now we've got a whole rehab that needs to come back. We've got surgeries. Like if it's severe from that side. So oh. like if we play this balancing act all the time, it's like, okay, cool. This program's tipped more towards action for sure. We still keep and we dose depend the functioning to keep us kind of functioning. Excuse the double mm. negative will double term them but the idea is that we can then bring it back in the next phase and go okay we need to really double down on the asymmetries that we created within this net, this program yeah because we know it's easier to maintain muscle and maintain the, what we've grown than to build it so we do need to go through periods of you know super compensation sra curves come into this like this has to be done otherwise you don't grow but understand like okay cool i've taken some type of adaptation that needed to occur i've created a problem mm. now let's fix the problem to then allow me to you know double down on it again in the long run growing chest growing back whatever it is from that side. it's it's the intention i like i love the periodization plan that's i could never understand it and it was i don't i think it was you on a podcast before i even moved to south africa just before and mm. you had spoken about like long-term periodization Australia? Yeah, sorry. When I moved to from South Africa to Australia, oh, yeah. it's like so. I was in South Africa. I was more strength and conditioning, and like looking at like old school periodization models of like bumper and like macro, meso, micros, and like I could always sit there and I was like, "This is great. Like this works perfectly for sport." And then you got to like physique. I moved over and got a job in a company that I don't want to name. They're green and have a stupid logo. I um, know them. Can I name yes. them? Yeah, if you really want to. We're talking about clean health, everyone. Yeah, one hundred percent. So I got <laughs> fired from clean health for um, um, uh, our values not aligning. Having, I was going to say having an opinion. No, anyway. Yeah, you having an opinion, asking questions. Oh, God. oh the originals. Yeah. I set the originals up. I worked with the female one and knew the male one. And anyways, move on. Go okay, on. so yeah, that one. Um, Jesus. <laughs> so, um, and like when we started looking at that, like. We just did 12 week packages and you did, you know, whatever it was, G- uh, GBC and this and that. Mm. And I was just like, okay, cool. What happens when they resign after 12 weeks? And they're like, oh no, well then you start again. And I was like, but I just like pumped them with volume in the last four weeks. Like what, what do, do I pump them? What's the deal? Like it made no <laughs> sense to me because when I thought about it from a like strength conditioning background, we go through the micro and we go through like, you know preparation like pre-season and there would be pre-season in season and out of season now Mm. okay those are three terms but we can understand that if you take that principle and like this is i create this and i teach on this for prescript but the idea is like let's take that idea i added one or two things in there because i like the idea of like having blocks and phases into a traditional periodization model so like a phase is essentially just it's honestly just creating an intention for that time period Uh now a phase can be two weeks to 12 weeks to 15 whatever you want to call it it could be hypertrophy you know more so like functional hypertrophy strength whatever it is and all the differences that rep ranges create limitations around exercise selection create intention of what you're trying to do within that that phase now within the phases you kind of have what i call blocks so like blocks for us are in season and out of season uh-huh. pre-season and that and then from that you then can kind of go like pre-prep prep and then like post prep or then kind of going GPP and, and restorative or something along those lines now. Restorative being function, uh, health, you know, kind of everything falls into that. Like 
I looked at that the original model of just like go for 12 weeks, 12 weeks, and it made no sense. Moving back to my original point, I heard you talk about long-term periodization. And I was like, this makes perfect sense. Why the fuck are we not thinking about this? Like, I don't want, I don't care about the 12-week transformation. I care about the 52-week mm. because that's more sustainable. It's like, if I've got some, or it's sustainable from they get better results, I don't have to sell. Do you know how much I hate selling as a personal trainer? Or a coach. Oh, four weeks Do you energy. know how much muscle you can grow in twelve weeks? Sweet fuck all. <laughs> like it doesn't exactly. work like that. Yeah. But that's and that's it. So it's like this periodization plan. I don't want to. You know, it's not a manipulative tool. But at the same time, it's like when you have a client come to you and you can be like, "Hey, I'm mapping out the next year." It's like you're stuck with me for not stuck with me, but you're stuck with me for the next year. And if you do, I promise we'll get really good results. And it's kind of like, okay, well, I've just gained a client for fifty-two weeks. And the 52 weeks, that ends up being longer and like, you know, two years. And like, you can actually build a relationship with someone. You can build, you work out how their communication style is. You work out what exercises work better for them, what injuries. Like, you, there's so much information and data we gain from that longer time period. Funny that the longer you spend with someone, the more you get to know them. Weird. But yeah, weird. But the idea is like long-term periodization is the key. It's like, don't stop buying these cooker cutty, cookie cutty, cookie cutter <laughs> guidebooks that are 12 weeks and like signing up with a coach for a 12 week challenge. Like, yes, they can be good. They can, they can be an introduction into strength training mm-hmm. sometimes, but then it's like, okay, take the next step, go and find someone that you want to work with, go and find a coach that can make you better. Like there's a good handful of, this sounds bad. There's a good handful of like, New semi-decent coaches who actually know what they're doing to a certain extent. They're, they're not going to fuck you up as uh-huh. badly as some. Uh-huh. Go to that. And then maybe you spend you know three months, six months with that coach. And it's like the, it comes to a limitation. Or it comes to a roadblock or in a point where they don't know what's next. So go and find your next coach. Go and find someone who's a little bit more. Understand that when that happens, you're going to pay more for it because you pay for what you receive in terms of knowledge, service, IP. It's like it, you're not, it's not going to be the $39 you paid for your 12 weeks of coaching. Mm. Please understand when it's $39 for 12 weeks of coaching, it's not individualized no. to you no. at all. And the other side of that, they have a thousand clients. Uh-huh. They don't have 50. And that, I think that's, a, I've, I've heard you speak about that once or twice. And I really like that idea. Like I'm not here to, I'd like uh, 25 to 30 clients. Like I, my life's a mess as it is. And I've got 25 women screaming at me on the phone over there. Like when we get off of this, my phone's been on sleep. I'm guaranteed there's at least 50 messages going on there. Like, I bet you there was a hundred a week. Are you are... like Tinder messages or are we talking client messages? <laughs> oh no, I don't, I'm not on dating apps. I think that that's a whole other. No, that's clients. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm joking, but at the same time, it's like, I, like I limit my amount of clients that I take in one, because I think quality of service matters. Like, and I know if I get over a certain amount of clients, it's like, I can have all the systems in the world. I love data. I love being able to streamline things, but I'm not going to be able to give the quality that I think a client deserves. Mm. And I think that's a good telltale sign of like a coach. You can have, you know, your tiers or steps of types of packages. Cool. But understand that if you're working one-on-one with a coach, one-on-one with a coach, it's like, they have a limitation for their quality of service from a client perspective. Like the yeah. greed comes in and that's where things just become a nightmare. Yeah. Even if people are pricks and like coaches and they only care about themselves, 
Yeah. I think it's still not in the coach's best interest to take on more clients than they can give a top quality service for because people talk and maybe they have the numbers now, but they're not going to get referrals. People are yep. going to talk badly about them. They're not going to have, well, I assume because it's important to me, it's important to everyone, uh, a good job satisfaction. Yeah. And they're probably going to burn out. Uh, and so even if you don't really care about your clients, you still want to, you should, firstly, we still want to <laughs> give them the best service that we can because it gives us job satisfaction. It gives us a good reputation. It means yep, that we agreed. have like the time and energy to sharpen our skills and get better at what we do. Yeah, yeah no, I, I approach, agree. That's for sure. It's- mm. Yeah, it's the like um, the, the delayed gratification approach. It's like you need to be able to understand that this is a long-term game. Like, and you're saying referrals, like, that's not the easiest, but it is the easiest way to get new business. Just it's treat good, people you have really fucking well. Yeah. And then you'll like people just come in from them. It's like, you don't, it's the easiest sell in the world. Yeah. That's the hilarious thing is that the marketing people say, you can't rely on this. I'm like, but I can, if I'm good at it, Our business, you know, like, cause, <laughs> like revolves because around referrals. if I'm good at it, people will refer it. But if I'm not, then I'm going to be seeking paid leads. You know? I must say though, that I've been in a few situations where I've uh, like coached a couple and this Ooh. is both when I was a PT individually. And then as a coach, cause you know, they refer their boyfriend. Yeah. Yep. And um, I've got really good at, um, having boundaries with my clients, which is something that I learned the hard way and over time. I was going to say that's, that's only learned through fucking up. Oh that's, yeah. I learned yeah. by fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and people would tell me about like all the fights they had and this and that. I'd be like, oh, he what? Oh, she what? Like, oh, and you, you're hearing that. Like what I learned is that there's his side, there's her side. And then and there's, there's the truth. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's how that works. There's, there's yeah. three sides to a story always. Absolutely. I agree. Fucking lutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so setting those boundaries, if you are coaching or training couples is really important because you teach people how to treat you. And if you don't apply boundaries in the beginning, not just around what you talk about, but also like how frequently communication should be, what platforms yep. they should communicate with you on mm. the sorts of things you need them to tell you then yep. it's much harder to try and enforce them later than it is to set the boundaries up from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a saying. It's a, I had a client, when was he? When I was 20, 21, 22, somewhere there. Um, very high in business, really good family, had four kids. Him and his wife had been married for whatever, like 20 odd years or something stupid like that. Um, and I like, I like, under, like, this is why I loved in person so much is I could network with people and I could communicate. Like I wanted to know, about them and i think that's a good part of being a good trainer and we would always have a chat and like he was worth more money than i'll ever see in my entire life and the one question i asked him was like how did you do it like you've got four kids who you know like yeah they he's like they they fuck up every now and then but they they're relatively really good kids they don't um you know they don't not necessarily that it matters but it's like they weren't getting in trouble they didn't do drugs they like did one in school like he he had i don't want to say the perfect life because i knew the other side of it there was issues and stuff and i think he never portrayed that there never was which was a, a thing that i valued but i asked him i was like how did you do it and he said when we first started when we got together well the thing we said to each other was start how you want to finish and I think like that to me, that saying has always like stuck with me in anything that we do. It's like when I started building the business, I was like, okay, I can take five clients on now and I can use this system and it'll be okay. And it's like, no, 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 no. How do I want to finish? Do it mm. properly from the beginning. Reverse engineer, work backwards from the 52 weeks that we do for programming and come to the start point of where we're at right now. It's like, it's funny how if you think that way and like, I don't like the term goals and goal setting, like that's, 
it's just been a weird thing in my brain. It's like, I don't like, what's your five-year plan? I was like, I don't fucking oh, know. I hate that I'm sitting in Miami. I didn't even think that I would be in this stack. I've never been anywhere in years. Like, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that a year ago. Yeah. Mm. But the idea is like understanding that fluidity with these processes and under, like knowing where you kind of want to go and the GPS is kind of set there, but there's always fluidity for like taking a detour or hmm. traveling around, like doing these things. Like as long as you have that kind of roadmap in the very beginning and you start how you want to finish, you should be fine. Mm. I I do like it. I do. Um, Now I feel like that is an awesome place to finish. And normally we wrap up a podcast with a, (laughs) normally we wrap up a podcast with a how to be less shit tip because the slogan of this podcast is how to be less shit. I think I just gave you the answer though. Yes, I do. I feel like we should just repeat that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a start how you want to finish. Like Mm. that's it. I think that's, it's a, it's a life motto that, and I don't know if I, you ask, I don't know if you ask quotes or some shit. I can't remember. Maybe we have a something worth sharing segment, which can be a quote or it can be a product. Let's do it now. Yeah. Do you have something worth sharing? So, I mean, for (laughs) me, um, that it comes down to like understand your values. If you as a human have never gone through a values assessment or a test or something like that, like go and try and determine what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a humanity perspective, from a coach perspective, from just life perspective, if you can have some form of North star within your life, you should be fine. And you should be able to navigate any situation that comes forth with that. Um, and something that I like live by is like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that is like, understand that any decision you make has consequences and with that it's like if you're striving towards that one north star all the time and whatever that is like for me integrity is a really big kind of value it's like i try and make sure that it, and and the key thing is i try and make sure so i'm never perfect no one's fucking perfect i fuck up all the time but the idea is like i'm constantly trying to keep that in my head while i'm recalibrating back to like did i act with in, integrity did i make a decision that was you know, in my best interest from a perspective of integrity, like if we can understand that as humans and understand like that is my value, that is like the sword that I would die on if we were, it's like that's it. Like I think one, humanity would be probably a better place. And then two, specifically coaching, it's like you would probably be a better coach and you'd be able to provide a better service. Like wouldn't be overtake over overdoing their clientele, that's for sure. No. Is there a particular place if someone's listening, they're like, oh, you know, I'd really like to get clearer on what my values are. Yep. Is there, I don't know. Yeah. So I use um, uh, Dr. Martini. So Mm -hmm. it's a free value determination test. It's pretty good. Um, Like I've done quite a lot of his work. He's actually, he's a strange looking dude. I don't know if you know (laughs) or have ever done any, have you, do you know Dr. Martini? He kind of, there's some, um, there's some like, I don't want to say Disney movie or some like character from like millions or something like that, that he kind of looks like. He wears this, no, he doesn't. No, it doesn't oh. look like Gru. He wears okay. this like um, blue suit and he has like an old school bowl haircut, but that black hair. It, nice. It's the, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a photo of him. He's a strange looking dude. Okay. He's extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done quite a lot of his courses. I've done his communication stuff and that actually helped me in my coaching business significantly. Um, I went through a, a really strange breakup and I got told that I couldn't communicate. Apparently it wasn't actually that because I started diving into a whole bunch of things. And I was like, Oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. And like my clients really are good, good from it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so that's, that's where I kind of got that perspective is the, the communication side from him. 
but anyways, he does a free values determination test and uh, it takes about 20 minutes somewhere there. Um, you can do it once every six months is kind of what I would suggest because values change um, or interests change and kind of like um, um, what priorities, sorry, it's the word I'm looking for. Priorities change in your life as you kind of evolve. Hopefully you do evolve and things do change. Um, but yeah, the value determination test from Dr. D. Martini okay. is always a good one. Okay, we'll link okay. that in the show notes. <clears throat> Now, the next thing we wanted to ask you about, I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually a really good singer. And so I've put together, if you've listened to any of the newer episodes, you would have heard the the intro to this segment. We call this Hot to Topic. Now, I actually, so this is a song that actually I made a twist on from the Hot Potato song that I thought was a global sensation. Turns out it's just an Australian thing from a band called The Wiggles, Mm. who were apparently, do you you know? He knows that. I know The Wiggles, yes. I've got, I've got step. Step kids, step. My stepsisters have kids, uh-huh. and the Wiggles is on all the time. Okay, so you might know this song. So we call this topic "Hot to Topic," and we're just—it's just an opinion question. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, it is this like the Foldle Scrunch question that was there? Uh, no. <laughs> that I have to—I have to ask about who came up with that. Well, any weird question is always it's always my okay. mind works in very strange ways. I don't That's understand right. it sometimes. We've had some good answers on that too. Yeah. So uh, when we ask listeners, uh, guests on the podcast, we give them a little questionnaire, like what's your Instagram handle so we can share it. And the last question is, do you fold or scrunch? And I'm pretty sure it was Dan who we had on recently thought we were talking about his laundry or something. Yeah. He didn't didn't know that we were talking about toilet paper. (laughs) I hope he didn't say scrunch because that'll just be super interesting to see what he wears all the time. Yeah. Just like, I mean, I'm not the best human in the world, but I at least know to put my shirts on a hanger so that they automatically do the thing. That's it. But you it. can't get the hangers with the pointy edges because then you get the little points on your, in your shoulders. Well, that's shoulders. more of a, like, a time spent on the hanger issue too. Like, if the shirt yeah, has, it is. has little fucking horns on it, oh, it. <laughs> give it to somebody else. You don't wear it enough. You know? oh, sorry, you were saying the hot topic. Yeah. I don't so, know what anyway, I was saying. This is the hot to topic. It's the song. We brought it up with people before and they were like, we have no idea what song this is. That's you can dance got. if you like. Oh, God, no. I do know I do know the song, yes. You're doing the dance as well. That's frightening. Yeah. If you like, um, you can congratulate me on my singing voice. <laughs> it was... Um, it wasn't well, terrible. <laughs> it wasn't My terrible. My voice is actually that bad that I just embrace it because there's just no way it's going to get good or that I can try hard enough that it's average. I'm just like, look, I'm a uh, hungover Marge Simpson and that's just what my voice sounds like. I'm sorry. Yep. There's nothing we can do. You are, actually. That makes the perfect... You know what you got to do? One of these episodes, you got to do the whole, like, uh, you should have done it for Halloween. You should have done a Marge Simpson Halloween for one of the, like, <laughs> one of the episodes. You know, and we're in Romania for Halloween, too. We were near Transylvania. Can you believe it? We were actually in Transylvania we were actually last week. Tra- in Transylvania on the 27th. You yeah. missed the opportunity. You're going to have to come back next year. Here is the hot topic. The hot right topic is this. Now, there's lots of smart people in the world, and mm. often people specialize in whatever they specialize in. Um, Lately, I've noticed that like Huberman or Peterson or whatever are talking outside of their wheelhouse and they're talking with conviction about things that really they have no academic background in. It's all just opinion, but they speak in a way that it sounds like this is is based in evidence. Should they? Um, I think they are allowed to express their opinion. 
So I think as soon as we start um, dictating who cannot say their own opinion is a concern. But I think the main thing that we need to be mindful of here is their audience that they have the ability to kind of capture. So it's kind of like a segue from that. It's like you've got someone who's extremely popular, who is knowledgeable and is known for the knowledge, but unfortunately is now talking about topics that they don't necessarily uh, or are not the um, authority on in that side. Mm-hmm. It can be a concern. I think. Um, I think what's going to happen is it may be a positive from it may start getting people asking questions and hope they then find the correct information, the correct types of people to start gathering this information from in the past. That has not happened though. We tend to see like, Hey, he's very knowledgeable. He said, you know, don't eat carbohydrates. Um, and you know, that's what I now need to do for the rest of the, my life because Peterson kind of has said so it's, yeah. I just find it um fuck it is a hot topic you're right this is a hot topic i everyone has their uh, they can say whatever they want to say where i have an issue is when people start getting hurt it's like that's where i i'm start getting very concerned or the affinity for someone to get hurt or injured or like long term problems on this and i think making sure that the topic that you're speaking on that you have the background information you probably should be doing they're smart individuals I wouldn't be surprised. Like it's surprising that they haven't gone and done research mm. to me. Someone like this and I'm just like, mm, I feel like he should have done some research or like there's another agenda or there's something. And sometimes maybe that is the case. It's like, Hey, let's get on the hot topic of the week or whatever it is like blood flow restriction or whatever fucking comes mm. up in the week or stretching. We saw that when that study came out, I think. Um, yeah. I, mm. No and yes is the mm. only answer sucking. Yeah, like there. you don't want to shit on freedom of speech, but at the same Correct. time you're recognizing that people of influence can That's what I was looking for. Yeah, harm their audience by misinformation. Yeah. I, I find like I do imagine people feel like they've done the research, but they And they also feel like they're helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be malicious. And they know enough to think they're right. They just don't know enough to know they're not. Mm. Well, I think it's the delivery. So like let's, be, like, let's go with the Peterson thing. He's not wrong and he's not right. And I th- what I mean by that is like, yes, okay, if we ha- probably had a lower carbohydrate intake, what are we doing? We're reducing calories. We know that there's an overconsumption of calories or caloric overconsumption in the world globally. I'm in the biggest country in the world. It's insane watching the portion sizes here. Mm. So again, I think it's just now maybe he's assigned a macronutrient to that and you know, if he had said it about fat, we probably have the same discussion. The idea behind that is like the principle is maybe what he's missed. And the principle is the overconsumption principle. If he had come out and said, hey, we're globally eating too much, we'd all be okay with that mm. because that's kind of it. And I think he may he's not right, but he's not wrong at the same time. If you kind of take a little bit of a, a deeper look at like what he's referring to, I think. But we're also educated on the matter, so it's difficult to have that a, a yeah, non-biased yeah. Um, thought there. For those yeah. listening to this episode in the distant future, um, we're talking about Peterson came out and said we're all fat because the uh, dietary guidelines. And he used like an example from like the eighties or something, didn't yeah, he? Like, around grains, yeah, and yeah. carbohydrates, um, etc. That you know yeah. they're wrong and they're the reason that we're fat. Mm. Uh, well, yeah. if you look at the percentage of people that actually follow those guidelines, it's it's not a lot. You know, obesity isn't because people are following the guidelines; it's because they're not. Um, 
so so that's what we're referring to when we're talking about this yeah the tough thing here is is that like it's subjective as to how far you think a professional can shift from their center point Mm. to then be speaking out of turn psychology to nutrition is a pretty fucking big his is a massive leap Huberman going from neurochemistry to talking about endocrinology to talking about maybe some nutritional, you know, literacy. Eh, like we can kind of see that there's a bit of overlap. A combina- yeah, an yeah. overlap. Whereas going from, yeah, I think somewhat political psychology and some other stuff to talking about a meat diet, pretty far apart. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's it's the perspective or the, the correlation between the two. It's like you can be an expert, you can be a PhD in whatever you want. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty Something much, just and then kind of think that you're an expert on the other side. Well, I mean, Liz has um, had a, a previous um, lecture of hers do a course of hers, who was incredibly smart in his domain. Thankfully for him, recognized that he didn't know the domain of nutrition. But then when it came to questions, it was like, wow, I would have just expected that you would have known more about this. So he's a neuroanthropologist and like well-decorated and my favorite lecturer at uni. And yeah, he was doing keto because he thought that carbs made him fat. And I'd love to know where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it made me realize that just because you're really smart in one thing might not really reflect any sort of like common sense or yeah, just, it just really shocked me. And it made well, me realize a, a that depth, nobody's above uh, this rule. Depth versus breadth kind of conversation. I think that's a, that's something that can be so um, blinding or misguiding sometimes as well. It's like you, you hone in so much on one niche or one perspective that you put those blinders onto everything else. It's like, you know, mm. I know, I know many coaches who are just rehab experts. And that's it. Yep. That's all that they've they've kind of dove into the whole time. And like you give them one aspect, one skewed kind of conversation, and they're like, nah, carry on here. And I think that's where building and teaching people critical thinking and principles mm. allows for these things to be better. It's like if I'm not saying that Peterson doesn't have principles or is the principle behind is the learning. <laughs> that, I don't like fuck. It. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> but the idea is like maybe what you need to look at is like what is again. Let's look for the principle of the the issue that's being brought up, not just the issue. It's like the principle is there's an overconsumption of or an underconsumption of actually, if we had to look at it from that perspective, Mm -hmm. that's the principle. If he had maybe looked at it and like been searching for the principle, and I'm not saying that he's not a critical thinker. I think he can think for himself. I just think that maybe this is a bad example, but the idea is like – that's the question that I want to ask when someone brings a topic or something talk to me. It's like, what are we talking about principally? Which, you know, is taking the emotion out of it, which is difficult sometimes, but it's like, okay, what am I looking for? Training aspects, you know, for psychology, whatever it is, like, what is the, the root cause? What are we looking for? Let's find mm-hmm. the root cause and then let's discuss the root cause and see what's going on from the root cause, not the symptoms. Hmm. I think the reason that Peterson's recent video I don't know, triggered me is I, he doesn't talk about nutrition a lot, but people listen to him. And I feel like he has the responsibility to give practical advice. And maybe it was, you know, something like clearing up the difference between actually what people think a carb is pizza, chips, ice cream, whatever, and what carbs actually are like all that stuff. People think carbs are just hyper palatable, ultra processed foods. Food. Yep. Yeah. We're not talking about like people eating too many vegetables and fruit and, you know, honey and mm. things like, like no one eats all that stuff 
to obesity and isolation. It's all the hyper palatable stuff. So I think my problem with it was like, not just that he got it wrong because everyone gets stuff wrong, but I just don't feel like he used his platform responsibly. Yeah. And I maybe think he was a, trying to be clickbaity. That's the toughest thing is that we're in a, a time whereby information availability is so beyond abundant that you can't even imagine life without, you know, a click of a button. But it's both the greatest, you know, um, asset, asset yeah. and also a curse. Yeah, because I agree. you can fall down the wrong rabbit hole. And then as we know too, like the more you focus on one thing, the more you get shown the same thing, you drive further <laughs> bias, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, a, yep. it's, it's a tough spot. So Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. We were in a cab, was it yesterday actually? And I was listening to an audio book and I was like, Dean, did you know that like one in three relationships have some sort of domestic violence at some point? Mm. I was like uh, repeating to him these statistics and the cab driver was like, well, you know what? You hear so much stuff now on social media. Not that I was repeating it in social media, mm. but he didn't know that you just don't know what to believe anymore. So the cab driver was at the point that instead of believing everyone, he believed no No, one. And instead of looking at like information literacy and figuring out, well, how can I actually validate this claim or this statistic? He's just decided that everything's wrong. And I'm just going to go off, I don't know, anecdote. His comment was, it's probably been the same our entire lives. And we're like, well. (laughs) Domestic violence stats have changed dramatically. Um, But anyways. (sighs) I hope you didn't say that. It was kind of like, and this is tough too, as as you travel, different in America because they're all speaking English primarily. But um, you're like, uh, how much of this is worth me spending time trying to have a so, conversation yeah. with somebody whose second language is English? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, so anyway. is, is this the cliff I'm going to jump off right now? <laughs> <laughs> I've got 30 I mean, minutes in the cab. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Jesus. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's not talk about Jesus. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. <laughs> Final question yeah. for the podcast. We Final haven't really quick. spoken yes. about um, your chronic pain in this episode too much. But from what I know about you, from your injuries, this is something you're constantly dealing with. Yep. Would you rather be free from pain for the rest of your life from this moment onwards now or extend the lives of three strangers by 10 years each? 10 years each. Oh, yeah? Is that so that everyone thinks you're a good guy? No, that's just because I've dealt with it for the last seven years. Found the tolerability. That's it. That's it. It's just like if you had said it will get progressively worse, I would have gone with the 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 chronic pain. But the thing is, like I've dealt with it for what am I now? Seven years. Like it's 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 at the point of where it is. Um, the next one is surgery, and that's that's the next hurdle that we kind of go with from that side. But it sounds I know that sounds strange, but it's like I. I'd rather know this pain than not know this pain because it cal- calibrates me on a daily basis. Mm. Um, you know, okay. like I, I have the saying of like, it could be worse. And it's literally because of this pain. Like I know mm. what worse is. So mm. I'm happy with, I'm happy as bad as it is. Yeah. I feel like you Full should acceptance. Just, yeah. yeah. I feel like you should just watch Ronnie Coleman videos every day that the pain gets to you and then yeah, go, mm, yeah. I'm not him. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't need crutches again. So I'm good. <laughs> I'm fine for now. Yeah. I'm yeah. far out. Well, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us. It's been great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, always will, nice to meet we'll, you, I guess. Yeah, we haven't yeah. met before. Have you guys met yes. before? Yeah. I, I bought a BP cup from Dean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, pretty huh? much. Huh? What? A what? A BP cuff. 
Blood yeah. pressure. I had a baby gun. I was like, when did you have a baby gun? No, BP. Should I know something about you? Blood <laughs> pressure. Oh, got it. Baby. Yeah, I'm with you. Got we it. We met virtually yeah. and then in person. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, we will put your handles and website and whatnot in the show link. So if anyone wants to reach out, that's where you can find James. Appreciate it. Thank you very and, much. Um, I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Yep. Chat to you soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers, mate.